Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, editor-at-large of Recode. You may know me as someone who worries Alexa and Siri are secretly talking to one another, but in my spare time, I talk tech, and you're listening to Recode Decode from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today, I'm passing the show over to Recode's data editor, Ronnie Mola. She recently interviewed Brett Kinsala, the editor of VoiceBot.ai, about the future of virtual assistants like Alexa, Siri, and Google Home. Let's take a listen. Thanks, Kara. I'm here with Brett Kinsella, the editor of VoiceBot.ai, a publication that has to do with all things voice technology. I've recently been working on a project about voice because it is the future. It's how we're going to interact with machines before the machines take over. Brett, welcome to Recode Decode. Thank you for having me. So let's start with your history. How did you become sort of this authority on voice technology? I've done a number of different things in technology. I started working in tech in 1996, 7, depending on how you count, and worked with big consulting companies, learned business strategy, learned technology deployment, uh, you know, companies like Accenture and and Sapient, worked with uh, a bunch of startups over time. And eventually, a series of events that happened, I, I wound up starting a small agency, and I really focus on post-A round funded startups. Those companies that are trying to go from 200000 in revenue to $10 million, mm-hmm. so they've got some traction, but they really need to grow. So I was doing that, and that led me to start working with a company called Zap Media. Two of the co-founders I had worked with previously, they asked me to come in. They're an engineering-led company, and they really needed to establish themselves, and that was a voice-based solution, what they had is interactive audio ads. About when was this? This was 2013. Okay. And so this was pre-smart uh, speaker era. It, the focus was on mobile ads, and it was really about being able to deliver this interactivity by voice on uh, mobile devices when you're listening to streaming music. Okay. So uh, if you're listening to streaming music, you, you talk to it or it just responds to you? What, what, what do you mean? Yeah. If you think about the advertisements weren't very effective in, in some instances because uh, the call to action is incongruous with the way you're, uh, you're actually engaging with the media. So they would say, like, click to convert, you know, or While to open listening. the video or something. And it's in your pocket or your purse and it's behind the lock screen and all these other things. And so as good as that ad format is, it was like five times better when you could just respond by voice in order to execute the call to action. So I learned a lot in that in terms of how voice works. Uh, we implemented our own voice models and those types of things. And they were, they were, they were a client of mine and, and enjoyed doing that work. And around 2014, the Echo came out and it was a novelty. 2015, Amazon approached that, that company and said, hey, we'd really like you to support the Echo because you understand the space and we're looking for people who understand the space. And, you know, we talked about it as a team, and I, I have a background in strategy consulting and have done a lot of startup positioning. And so I said, okay, well, let's, let's just research it. Let's see what it's like. And we did, and, and ultimately it led to um, 
the company really focusing on that. In fact, it's basically all their business now. It's, they've got over 1,000 Alexa skills and Google Assistant apps published on behalf of big brands, some really large ones as well, and a lot of media companies as well. But before we even got into that, because I'd done that research, I was talking to some people at Advertising Week, and they said, oh, this is a good topic. I'd love for you to write a, write a story for us. I said, okay, I'll, I'll write something up. And that was really popular. It got picked up by and republished by Huffington Post. And I had all these people asking me, and say, where'd you get this information? I said, well, it was kind of a pain in the neck. <laughs> there weren't really a lot of people covering it. People were just covering surface level. I knew it at a depth because we'd worked from a technical level as well as, you know, I have this background in businesses and how they adopt technology. And so I said, oh, okay, well, just as a service to these people are asking me, I'll just throw it up on a website. I'm going to start blogging. Yeah, and I'll, I'll blog like once a week or something like okay. that. Uh, so it wasn't going to be big. So you started VoiceBot? I did. Uh, when, when was this? September 15, 2016. Okay, and you were doing it once a week. What is it now? Oh, we publish 50 to 70 times a month now. Wow, okay. So, yeah, it's it, we go really deep. And it's like a resource. And if you think about it, we do news, but as much as anything, we are a chronicle of what's going on in the industry. Okay. And so a lot of the things we'll write just so you can go to our search bar, which is much better than Google if you want to learn about this space. Because Google biases towards all sorts of things that make it hard for you to find what you really want sometimes. And so we try to you know, cover the things that we think are really important. In 2016, we could cover everything because there wasn't that much. Today, it's different. Okay. So let's get into the history of voice tech. Maybe briefly give us an overview of how we got to where we are today, where we're talking to our microwaves. Okay. Well, if you think about voice technology, it started long before technology as we know it. So I just gave a talk in, in Chicago and what we talked about was what's called the Gutenberg parenthesis. And so if you think about it, for millennia, all we really had was the oral tradition. We spoke. In 1440, in Mainz, Germany, Johannes Gutenberg introduced the printing press. And all of a sudden, you could deploy text at scale. And it really became the default for learning, for information sharing. It was the economics changed tremendously. And so we had all this, this text out there floating around, and oral communication moved to the background. And so what happened was we saw as we moved into technology, text was a dominant paradigm, and it was something that was a lot easier for the engineers to make uh, a machine understand. And so we had this whole idea of what, you know, I talk about the textual stranglehold uh, that they had. And that's been fine. But now what we're seeing is because of some of these breakthroughs, and I'll walk through just a couple of them, for the first time, computers understand us in the language we normally communicate as opposed to us modifying our behavior so that the computers can understand us. So in the 1950s, was the, uh, Bell Labs, you know, has, I think it was Audrey was the first one that is like the best known. I think uh, IBM had a much more significant breakthrough in the 60s where it could understand 16 words. I think it was called the shoebox. And we walked through great all— conversation the, with that, huh? Oh, it was great. Well, in fact, I had a shoe phone. Uh, I think about this mobile phone later on, but it's a whole different story. We moved up, and I, I think the next big era really was around the late 90s and early 2000s. People will recognize, like, the, the term dragon, you know, dragon uh, dictation Software. system. Yeah. And so that was the first one that was really good, and that actually had some natural language understanding in it. And I've spent some time with some of the people who developed that. Really tremendous uh, technology. So that was what people thought it was. It was really mostly dictation as opposed to control and interaction. 
And then to move forward to what I would call the modern era, uh, that's sort of the pre-modern era, and Dragon was probably the, ep- the, the pinnacle of achievement in that pre-modern era. And then we had the introduction of Siri in 2011, and that blew people's minds. Right, talking to your phone. Oh, just amazing. And Siri had some issues because it actually couldn't do, at the time, everything that they said it could do in the, in the TV commercials. Naturally. But still really amazing. And once they re-architected the platform, it worked pretty well in most of those use cases. And so that's interesting, but if you look at a at a commercial around, around the Siri launch, it's about what Siri can do today. Huh. So they didn't really expand it significantly, and there, there's a lot of reasons for that. But Amazon, again, blew everybody's mind with the in- introduction of the Echo. And so I, I see those as the two points of this modern era. So first we had the phone, and then we have the Echo, and now, and then that was obviously followed a couple of years later by Google Assistant. And now we just have this, uh, looks like vertical adoption of voice, and we have tremendous advances. Right. I mean, even in the past few weeks, you had the Google hardware event. They, they rolled out one with a screen, the, sort of like the Echo Show. Even Facebook has a portal now. Any opinions on that? <laughs> yeah, well, I guess a couple, things, a couple things. So first of all, I would say the broader context is, I just wrote something recently which talked about the idea of phase one of the modern era of voice is over. And this goes back to what Jeff Bezos said at a Recode conference two years ago. He said, you know, we're at the first batter in the first inning when he was being interviewed by Walt Mossberg. And at the time, that was basically true, but we're not there anymore. This market has matured significantly. There's a lot of players. And what we're seeing is the second round of players are coming in, the second wave of devices are coming in, the second round of features. And Facebook fits into that. I, I think it's an interesting solution that they got that they put out to market. And just so everyone knows, um, the thing that makes Facebook Portal a little different than the rest of these speakers is that it's meant for video calls and it kind of follows you around the room. Yeah, right. The killer app for that is the camera follows you around the room and it is a nice piece of engineering to do that. I pay to not have that. Well, that's also true. Do you want to get, <laughs> sometimes you want to get away from it. But the video chat is a really good solution there. I think the folks in Cupertino sort of yawn at this. They're like, oh, we've had FaceTime forever. Why is this better? It is actually better if you've used these type of devices. So the Echo Show is really an excellent video chat device. I can tell you from experience of people that I've given those to that it's really nice. And so Facebook has this challenge in dealing with voice. Most of their content is visual. That's how they interact. And so how do they actually bring their assets to a space that's mostly voice? And video chat's probably a good point of entry for them. Makes me think about, um, you know, so all of these are adding screens now, which, in my opinion, that makes it seem like there's a deficit in voice. There's something that isn't enough for voice alone to take care of. That's why they sort of need to add screens to these, or at least for certain platforms. Do you agree or? No, I don't agree. What I I think about is what's best for the user. And so it's not like the visual interfaces that we had didn't have audio. So a lot of the visual interfaces allowed us to do other things. They have text and they have audio as well because that was a richer experience. They didn't have the capabilities to use voice as an input mechanism in that case until recently. And so what I tell people is don't think voice only. You might. It's, sometimes it's okay to think of voice first, but it's not necessarily voice only. Some use cases will be voice only because you're driving, for example, and you don't want people looking at a screen. But many other use cases, particularly with complex outputs, you deal with data every day, right? Right. So data is not visual. Data is terrible in an audio environment. And so that's a perfect example. In particular, it's a perfect example because actually getting data often requires a complex input. 
And voice is actually much better at complex inputs than text. I want you to give us an overview of where we are right now with voice. You know, um, we're about to have a holiday season where all sorts of people are going to pick up smart speakers. What percentage of the United States owns a smart speaker right now? Okay, so I just I just did a national survey of U.S. adults on smart speaker ownership, and it looks like about forty or fifty-seven million people own a device as of September. So it's like a third. About uh, well, it's. Actually, that's going to be closer to like 24% of U.S. adults, so about 250 million in in the U.S. So when we look at that device ownership, um, that's grown significantly. In fact, that's up more than 10%. It's about since even the beginning of the year. So that's been growing at a tremendous rate. And I think what we're going to see in this holiday season is we're going to see more smart speakers purchased for sure. Uh, that's that's something that it's no longer a novelty. There are people who are just buying them, adding to their home. I think a little, uh, a little over half of the people only have one now, and so there's a lot of those people who are going to buy more. Uh, but we're also starting to see voice be a, a bigger driver for other types of devices, whether they be headphones or appliances. And and we're going to see a lot more of that this holiday season. And these include these, um, these multimodal devices, the interactive displays that – are designed to work with voice, but also complement it with visual. Okay. Uh, so on these devices right now, as they are, what's working, what isn't working? What's working? Well, a few things are working for sure. Utilities are working. So any type of utilitarian interaction, uh, information, I want the weather, conversion, uh, I, or timers, those types of things, those are far and away the things that users say they're using uh, most frequently. And the other thing that's really working is media. So media is the killer app of smart speakers, and it's right. not surprising. They're speakers, right? Makes sense. So people always say, well, voice will take off when there's a killer app for it. Well, actually, smart speakers have been adopted en masse because they're, they're great for listening to music or other type, you know, talk radio, other things, podcasts, maybe Recode Decode. You could always listen. You could stream music before this. You could stream it without having to... Talk oh, to but it. it's so easy. <laughs> I mean, so you think about it, right? So to set it up, and maybe you had a Sonos system, and so you could go into your phone, and you could start things, you could search. And that's great. Uh, people who didn't have that had to, like, make sure it connected to the device properly all the time and all these things. Now you just say, Alexa, play Renegades by X Ambassadors. And she does. Okay. We have to go to a break right now. Afterwards, we're going to talk a little bit about what exactly we're using it for, what's not working, cover the smart home, voice shopping, all that sort of stuff. So um, I'm here with Brett Kinsella, the editor of voicebot.ai. We're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. We'll be back after this. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. 
ConstantContact.com. Hey, it's Tom Warren, senior editor at The Verge here. Microsoft is in an era-defining moment. It's betting on AI as the future of work, its Xbox business is going through transformational changes, and the Mac versus PC war is about to be back on. So I'm launching a newsletter called Notepad. It'll be your inside guide to all those changes and beyond, from details on the next Xbox to that one time every Microsoft employee named Michael appeared on a mysterious email list. Whatever is happening at Microsoft, you'll be able to read about it first in Notepad every Thursday. Go subscribe now at theverge.com forward slash notepad. And we're back with Brett Kinsella. Hey, Brett. Hello, Ronnie. We were talking before about you said that music and streaming music is sort of the, the killer app for voice assistants. How many people or what share of Americans are listening to music on their, on their smart speakers? Well, I think the number right now is around 80% of the people who have a smart speaker say they're listening to some sort of music or talk radio on a monthly basis. That drops a little bit when you go down to weekly or daily, but it's a significant portion. Almost everybody who buys these tries to listen to music, and then they do listen to music. The interesting thing here, I think, is that not only are they listening to music or podcasts, but they're actually listening to more music and podcasts, right? Yes, yes. There's some good data from Edison Research, which which talks about that. It has the people who own smart speakers report that they are listening to more music after they purchase a device. And they're listening to more radio as well. And that, that has a whole lot of repercussions for people who are selling this media or advertising against this media for listening to more of it. Absolutely. I mean, if you think about it, I mean, particularly for radio, I think it's important because there's a lot of data which shows that radios have left U.S. households over the last 15 years. In fact, the ownership is pretty low among millennials in particular, and we expect that trend to continue. But what happened with smart speakers is they brought radio right back into the home. And so that was a great solution for radio because they weren't present. And all of a sudden, it was just like you could call up your favorite radio station just by saying it in the morning. Right. I, I spoke with um, some people at NPR, and they were saying that thanks to smart speakers have seen such growth in listenership. And uh, all of it's accretive. It's not like they're losing it somewhere else. It's just they're, they're gaining it. It is. Yeah, it is. It looks like it's accretive. Uh, and it's not just NPR, some other uh, radio organizations that Spotify I've worked with. Spotify was that as well, yeah. Um, Spotify, you know, I think about the Cumulus Network. They've got over 300 radio stations on today. Smart speaker listening as a percent of all of their streaming grew by 4x over four months in the holiday season into the first quarter of this year. Okay. Um, let's talk about something that's kind of working, I think. Uh, so smart homes, I know that the, the introduction of smart speakers has made it easier to set up your smart lights or your smart thermostat. How well is that working? I know it's driving sales of all these gadgets. Well, it was a bigger deal a year ago than it is now. So a lot of the early adopters of things like smart speakers are also early adopters of things like smart home. And so they already either had smart home devices uh, that they were controlling with their mobile phones or they were thinking about it. And the smart speaker was uh, probably the best way to say it was the catalyst for them to get into that. And so we find that, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of you know, 20 to 30 percent of smart speaker owners have done something with smart home. But that means most of the people who have smart speakers have not. And so that's a big opportunity, I think, for the smartphone, smart home uh, device makers. But it's also a big opportunity for consumers because it's just another utility that you are able to access from the device once you have it in your home. One thing I've heard from people is that um, what's made the growth of smart home devices is that it used to be such a pain in the ass. And now you, you, you could turn on Alexa and sort of like these things coordinate with each other a bit better than they used to. Is that so? 
I think that's true, and I think it's going to be more true as we go forward. So just a month ago, Amazon introduced the Smart Plug. And the Smart Plug is interesting because it basically self-discovers, and you don't really need to configure it. And so that's one of the challenges that a lot of people had with Smart Home. You you download the app, and you configure it, and all these other types of things. Amazon's trying to make that dead simple, that if you stay within that ecosystem and you already have some of our devices— they just discover each other. And I think Google's close to that anyway because they have this auto-discovery. They just don't – it's not quite as simple because of the way they, they've integrated it. One of the issues, it seems to be that um, a lot of these devices require a certain set of commands like Alexa, turn on my heat or, um, you know, that's not quite natural language or depending on the device – you have to say sort of a different incantation. There's a couple different things with that. So first of all, there's these rules-based systems that was really what we learned, what we had with voice recognition in the past. It was looking for certain types of keywords or phrases, and from that it was going to execute it. With Alexa, you have to allow for a much uh, more natural interaction, natural language interaction. And so that means it requires the smartphone makers to do some mapping between what we call intents, uh, what the user wants to do, and what the device can do. And so, yes, there's a number of things that they have to do. And the ones who are constraining your language are the ones that aren't going to be as successful. The ones who allow you to talk like you would normally want to talk are, are the ones that are ultimately are going to do much better. Are you a smart home person? Not really. I've got a couple things um, that I don't use that often uh, as far as smart home goes. Do you think, do you see this as something that's going to, you know, everyone's going to have a smart home in the future or is this more of a novelty? I think most people will wind up having, okay. having smart home. I mean, so if you think about just the things like the Ring doorbell, you know, or Nest, Nest Cam doorbell and those things, those are really popular with people and the idea that you can, you can interact with them by voice is interesting. You know, you know, you think about the August locks and those types of things where people can do remote entry. There's there's a lot of utility there for people. Yeah, let let your Airbnb guests in. That's right, I, and, and I've 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 been the victim of that in the past. <laughs> so uh, so I think that there is a lot of utility there, and they're much better now. You can do these routines now where you can just say one command and it'll do several different things like turn on lights as well as the television or things like that. You can cluster them. So there's a lot of features now which are good, but I will tell you that sometimes it just does take longer to say turn off the light in the living room than to actually turn off the light in the living room. I agree. As someone who constantly is telling my Google Home to turn on the TV, listen to this, it's just like it would be easier. I'm sorry, I can't control that device. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's like, oh, man, I should have just used my thumbs. So let's talk about something that I don't think is working, and that's voice shopping. People have made a lot of noise about how voice is the future of shopping, but it seems like most people who have smart speakers or smart assistants on their phones or whatever devices aren't using it to buy stuff yet. Well, yes. I think that's largely true, but again, it's a new technology, so there's a learning curve here. And I will say that I've been pretty surprised with the numbers. So we've done several uh, consumer surveys on this over the past year, and consistently we're seeing that over one in five, you know, maybe close to one in four people, have they say they've tried it. Now, it depends on what you're looking at. So, like, there's the smart speaker. There's also the smartphone. And it also depends on how you define what the shopping experience is. Right, whether you're actually buying something or you're searching or asking about. Correct, correct. And so the, the question ultimately is there's the shopping aspect and then there's the transaction itself. So what we have found in the, the consumer survey data 
is that a lot of people actually have purchased things, because maybe because of the novelty effect, right? So they just said, okay, you know, Alexa, buy this. Or Google Express has done really quite well, and they did it. They did it through a little bit of a a good promotional trick is that they gave people $20. Right, so that's why everyone's purchased something worth $20. It was it was amazing and it, it, you know you see some of these these different studies I'm like okay well all of the people who bought a Google Home in the fourth quarter of last year got a $20 gift certificate to Walmart delivered for free to their house. So a lot of people bought batteries or something. Right, but like on a daily basis thing I, I saw you would um, one of your surveys had done this is how many people do this action monthly ever daily. Mm-hmm. Daily shopping's got to be really low, or weekly shopping even. I guess that would be a bit Yeah, and in fact, metric. I mean, daily and weekly are, are probably rounding error. And, and largely <laughs> because, except for things like food, most people don't shop daily. So that's also part of okay, it. Okay, so maybe right? monthly is a better— I think for this, this category, monthly probably is better. I do believe that that's going to significantly increase as people start to adopt either home delivery or pickup of food more. Uh, most of the people are not using that for for that today. So the information uh, put out a piece a few months ago, and it, it had said something that to the effect of only two percent of Alexa users had used it to shop in 2018, and you know that's a far cry from the 20 to 25 percent you're mentioning. What, what do you make of that? Well, you know, I look at reports like that, which are unsourced, and I say maybe, and I ask the question, and I didn't get a response. Uh, because I wanted to understand who it was that they talked to, because they didn't indicate that it was actually someone from the company. They indicated it was someone Sources who had seen a briefing. The, yeah. um, I wanted to know if they'd actually seen the document themselves or it was someone who had seen a presentation somewhere and was relating that. Because there's a lot of different ways that you can look at the data. And the, also, the other thing I was interested in is the, is the timing. Because most people actually try to try to do the purchase around the time they acquire the device. And so depending on when you do it during the year, you say, oh, in the last two quarters, that ha- it's going to be a different different number. I guess if you had it around the holidays and you had that $20 off, you're going to have done it back in December. Right. But if you say, oh, in the last six months and you're, you're taking the survey in July, you're going to get different readings. So what I would say is that the, the thing that – gives me a little bit of a pause around around that report is that consistently other people uh, or other surveys have shown that much higher numbers than that, like five or six X have at least tried it. So trial and habits are different things. And I don't know what the number was referring to, but I don't doubt that there's some disappointment around how fast this is taking off. It's a matter of people learning that it's a thing. Right, that it exists. But brands, uh, marketing, uh, things like that, they're not waiting for this to take off. They're not. I've talked to a bunch of different companies, uh, CPG companies, just food and beverage, things like that, and they're all in for voice already. And I guess in my head, that's kind of like they don't want to miss the boat. They don't want to be left behind when everyone starts buying things on their mobile phone. Yeah, there's a lot of debate about whether voice is a channel or it's a UI or what it is. What we know is that when one in five people in the country— or one in four potentially, have access through a specific media that, that's at scale. And that's what most consumer brands want. They want to be at the places where there's a scale of users. And so that makes sense. The other thing with brands is it's a real issue for them. They haven't seen this issue since the rise of the Internet. When the Internet came about, if you didn't have a website, you literally could not be found on the Internet, right? Because you only had analog content. You had to create digital content. When we went to mobile, we didn't really have that position, that, that situation, because at the very least, there was a browser on the mobile device. And so you could still be found, and you probably still would be found through, like, search. 
when you get to voice, people don't have audio content. At least they don't have it packaged in a way that you can access through a conversational UI. So all these companies are literally silent if they don't have a voice app. At best case scenario, they are trusting the voice assistant to deliver the consumer that asks about them to like a Wikipedia page or you know, right, maybe FAQ. position zero, something, yeah. right? Best case. Uh, most often, that's not controlled by the brand. If, and brands want that, they want to control that experience. They want to know that their message is getting through. And so if they don't have a voice app, there's no chance for them to do that. And it's clear that this is something that is not only going to be uh, popular with consumers, it's clear that it is something that's popular. It's the way that people are using it. So it seems that companies are using voice apps mostly as like a marketing, educational, um, or it's not app skills or actions, whatever you'd like to call them. Could you give us some examples? I know Tide, for example, tells you how to get a stain out of your shirt or whatever material. So you tell them what material it is, what you got on it, and they say how to get it out. And obviously, the idea is eventually someone's going to go buy Tide to go get the stain out of their sneakers. That's right. And you think about that as really just keeping Tide top of mind, right? So, I, oh, geez, if I have a stain, like, where do I go? Well, if when, you're, when you ask Alexa and Alexa says Tide can answer that question for you, you're just thinking, oh, you associate Tide with stains. And so they've captured that moment. They've captured that need. And they own that real estate now from their, their brand in the mind of the consumers. And they're just reinforcing that with, uh, with their Alexa skill. Some other examples, you know, you know there's this interesting uh, thing that Mattress Firm did recently. Uh, they include promotions in their, their voice app. They also have FAQs, if you think about it, but expert tips on how to buy a mattress, what's important, those types of things. Uh, and so people will wind up there, and then they'll ask for the promotions, and the promotions are designed to get people in the store. So, you know, you think about, is that part of the buying process? Absolutely. If you show up in a mattress store, there's a high likelihood you're going to leave with a mattress. Most people just don't I'm browse. just browsing. Right, exactly. Browsing oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not like the Apple store, right? People don't just go in to, to look around and dream. You've mentioned position zero, and for shopping, if and when, you know, people do end up buying things through voice, that's going to be really important because if you type, like, you know, black shirt on, on your phone to search that, you'll see 50 different results. If you say, hey, Alexa, or hey, Google, I want to buy a black shirt, you're going to get one, maybe two options that she's going to read to you. How do you get to the top of this list? Like, what does this mean for brands? They're just trying to be position zero? Like, No one really knows how to get to the top of the list. So position zero is, is a method. Well, of course, yeah. <laughs> nobody outside of the people who own the algorithms. And eventually those algorithms will be so complicated they won't even know. So I had Brad Abrams on my podcast last year. It's instructive on this topic of voice SEO. And what we were able to discern is, so first of all, he confirmed that when Google does this, and, and Amazon wasn't really doing this in the past. So Google was the, the only place. Amazon's more recently come to this recommendation concept. So what Google had done, some testing with two recommendations, never more than two. The vast majority were one, and they've they were generally leaning towards that being a and better experience. And people buy what they first hear. I've seen some studies on that. They're more likely to accept your first offer than, than Oh, to. yeah. It's like if, if you're an insurance company and someone calls your, your call center, your conversion rate is like 40%. Wow. I mean, it's a crazy. And so that's why people will pay $200 for, uh, for a click-through uh, and Google AdWords for, for insurance. I mean, because it's worth so much money, right? So, uh, so if you look at this, so position zero is a way. But I think one of the things that you can – you have a sophisticated off, uh, audience, right, in this space. 
and everyone says position zero. Position zero is helpful depending on how the question is asked, but it is not the first place that the search engines look. So if and I, and I say search engine being the Google Assistant and uh, Amazon Alexa. The algorithm that's putting it to the top. The algorithms are different. And this is really the first major overhaul of the al- algorithms we've seen in over a decade. So there's reserve terms that Google, Amazon, others have said, hey, we want to answer this because we have content. And then they look at the ability of voice apps to be able to answer the question. And then they consider things like position zero. So you're much more likely to be able to get a hit by having your own voice app and optimizing it for to be able to answer those questions. And most people just don't get that because they keep thinking about the text-based world and that everything's going to be like that. Voice actually changes us significantly. All right. We're going to take a, another quick break now, and we'll talk more about this afterwards. And we'll be back with Brett Kinsella, the editor of voicebot.ai. And we're back. Uh, we were just talking about how shopping options are surfaced on Amazon and Google. One concern I have now, right now you can't advertise to be the first result. According to Amazon and Google, you, there's, you can't pay to get there like you can in the search results online. That will change. That will certainly change for these ad-based platforms. Right now they're trying to, I think the idea is they're trying to gain people's trust before they subvert their trust. What's going to happen when, you know, there's one option, and that option is a sponsored option. Well, is that option the best option for the consumer? Good question. It, no. <laughs> well, it might be. If, if it is, no one's going to care. Everyone's going to be happy with it. I think eventually what we're going to see, let's, let's talk about where we're going to go, and then we'll, we'll move okay. back to this place. So eventually what's going to happen is voice assistants are going to have agency, and that's why all of these big tech players Uh-oh. actually care about this, right? So Facebook... They can't really do what they did with mobile and just say, oh, I'm not going to do a phone because I don't need to own the platform. I can be the most popular app because there's this intermediary. It's like the browser, you know, is controlling things first because there's someone who's basically saying, hey, this is what is most important, right? Eventually, the voice assistants are going to get to understand our habits, preferences, and likes, and they're just going to do things on our behalf. So if we think about something like Google Duplex, right, we're asking it to do something for us. It's going out into the world to actually to and that, do a And that's task. where they, they did the demo and they said, you know, schedule a hair appointment. Schedule or, a hair appointment, find out store hours, those types of things. Eventually, that leads to this idea that the voice assistants will just do things for us because they'll know what our preferences are. And in, in a world of um, free returns— Right? Two-day delivery, free returns. That's right. It's not that big a deal. If, if it sees something on sale that we've bought in the past or that they think that we need or we've indicated somehow that we need, it might just show up at our door. I don't know. I find returning stuff really a pain, but— Well, I, I think so, too. But, you know, eventually that's going to happen. And most of the time, it's probably going to be right. Yeah. I guess you could—if it's extra toilet paper, you're going to use it eventually. <laughs> that's right. And and if you think about it, I mean, that's that's one of the— that's one of the first areas that, that Amazon's leaning in on, and that is consumables. So, and the idea is, can you get something into the shopping cart history? And then if it's in the shopping cart history for a product category, your brand, then when someone asks Alexa, that's going to be recommended. Is They won't have to buy it, but it'll be recommended. And But eventually what you're going to see is that the voice assistants are going to, are going to get us on this more regular uh, replenishment. Because they see what our habits are. It's going to know what we want before we do. Let's talk a little bit about the hardware events that just happened. Amazon, Apple, Google all released new or updated voice gadgets. 
let's first uh, talk about Amazon's microwave because I think this is of sort course. of a ridiculous headline thing. What's the deal with the microwave? Why did they make a voice microwave? It's an incredible headline, right? It, it's it, just it, marketing. It, well, I always have to think back to this idea that Amazon does start most of their strategy sessions with headlines. And so when they were thinking about how to push this out into consciousness of both consumers and of device makers around appliances, they must have thought about the idea that this would sound ridiculous, right? We'd already seen voice assistants in refrigerators, so you're not going to get a headline out of that, right? We've already seen uh, GE and some of the others create these, uh, create Alexa-enabled ovens, right? So regular convection ovens Mm -hmm. and those types of things. What else could you do? And so absolutely, I think that was part of it. But and you know, and I wrote about this a couple of weeks ago. I really think that the important thing around the microwave is Amazon is showing people what can be done, and they're showing people how easy it is. And and you and I talked about this briefly about the idea of the new chip. Right. They they unveiled a new chip. You want to explain what what that means? Oh yes. So basically. In the past, when you wanted to add, like, voice interaction, you had, to, you had to put together, even when they had systems on a chip, which Amazon rolled out with Qualcomm at the beginning of this year, you had to build all these things in. And so there was a lot more work for manufacturers. It was more expensive, and it was more complicated to do. And Amazon, in their interest in making this as simple as possible for people, said, okay, well, why don't we make a simpler chip that's even less expensive? And all it really does is it has Wi-Fi connectivity, and it has a simple way for your microcontroller to communicate with Alexa devices. You don't even need to have a microphone on it. Which is, in a way, I'm glad I don't want a microphone in my microwave. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's right. Well, once you start to add microphones to things, it's really complicated. And expensive. It's expensive, and just the engineering alone, and there's a reason why there's six and eight microphone arrays on a lot of these smart speakers. Um, it's not the same as a smartphone because of the near field. You, you're close to it. It's much more forgiving. And so one of the big risks was going to be these microphones would be in all these devices that might not be well-engineered to listen to you across the room, um, have all this type of interference because they're microwaves or have a lot of metal and those types of things which can interfere. And so what they did is they said, oh, let's make something even easier, right? All you have to do is you can put a button. You know, anyone can put an actuator with a button. Pretty simple, uh, inexpensive. It'll connect to this chip. It'll activate something. Or because it self, um, because it's got that Wi-Fi in it and it can actually self-integrate um, with or automatically integrate with Alexa devices, you can automatically start talking to it once it's installed, once it's installed and has power. Okay, so this isn't about selling microwaves for Amazon necessarily, unless if that really takes off. They're going to sell. They'll wind up selling a lot of microwaves because <laughs> it's a commodity business. And so you look at the microwaves, and you're like, how do you decide what the microwave is? There's very few people who the know the features. I want the one that talks to me. Yeah, and it's like it's, it's one thing. When you when you look at a commodity, like you just need – sometimes you just need one thing to make it stand out. And, and it's $60. I guess that's a pretty reasonable price. It is inexpensive. I think they're going to sell a lot of them. I, I don't think they, they chose microwaves for that reason. Uh, I think they chose it uh, – I think in part for the microwave, or in part for the headline. The headline. I think they do. They do know their product categories, and they knew that would be one where they'd probably have a little bit of success. But in the end, I wanted them to, or they. I believe they wanted to send a message to appliance makers that you need to get on board with this. I'm going to show you how successful this is by a product I made. I will start moving into every product category that you don't deploy in, because I think it's this important. But I won't if you build it first. So it's more about showing other hardware makers what they can do and now can do more cheaply. It's sort of 
pushing them there as opposed to necessarily trying to, Amazon trying to get in the microwave business. Absolutely. It's a reference design. I'm, I'm, they'll sell anything, but they don't really necessarily want to be in all product lines. Do you want to mention a few of the other hardware things that Amazon, and, and we could talk about Apple and Google as well, but that Amazon also rolled out at this one? Amazon's had some really interesting things. Echo Auto is a way to you know, ostensibly put um, Alexa in your car by it's just like a small little device with a number of microphones that you put on your dashboard. Uh, that's not officially available yet. They're in a, a limited trial, so it's invite only. But I think that's going to be uh, that's going to be popular with a certain segment. It's it's basically a stopgap mechanism until they get into the dashboard, but that takes years with a with the product lifecycle for cars. Uh, the subwoofer, I'm, I have question a question whether that'll be popular, but. This is Amazon's attempt to say, we don't need to do Google Home Max. Mm. You just take your regular Echo. It's got a good high range anyway. The treble works fine. But we're just going to let you have this this large cylinder that's got a lot of bass and pushes a lot of air. So that was interesting. There's um, Echo Input is for devices that, that don't have a microphone but have audio output. So it's a simple way to bring other types of devices in. And so what would that be? Like, what would you use that for? Stereo system. Okay, got it. So I can talk to my stereo. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then uh, they have the the new DVR system, and that's really for cord cutters. And I, I expect that one will probably be among the most popular. Okay. Uh, so those are all really, really interesting. Then they did some up- updates and those types of things as well. So what about Google and Apple and even Facebook, for that example, did they come out with anything new? It seemed like a lot of updates. The Google Show. Google did not. They, yeah. So the Home Hub right. uh, is their smart display. Um, it's not as robust as, let's say, the Lenovo smart display, which also has Google Assistant and, as of this week, has all the same features that the mm-hmm. Home Hub has. But it's designed to be small. Um, doesn't It won't do video chat. It's really much more of a smart home aficionado type of tool. Uh, and I think that's, that's really where it is. I mean, Google really did not announce much um, in the voice space. It was really much more about Pixel. You know, there's um, they they have some new interface designs, and, and Google is killing it when it comes to the user interface with voice on mobile and the multimodal in, through Google Assistant, which is also available on iOS. And I, I actually that's all I use for search now is Google Assistant on when on the phone. I saw some prediction. It was it was like the next. Five years, half of all searches will be through voice. Oh, yeah. Some people are saying that it'll be with two know. years. Um, Comscore, I think, has it at 2020 now. They had it at 2022. I think they moved it up. But, yeah, it is it is much better just because uh, typing, particularly on a phone, is not good. Um, and um, and it's really good. It's, it's very powerful. But what I will say, just like in closing, Google made a ton of announcements in the first half of the year. I mean, they're rolling out in 30 languages as opposed to, like, five, you know, that, that some of their competitors are supporting. Um, they've got du- Google Duplex, which is the the bigger news. It's going to roll out in November in, in four cities. So they've, they've done a lot already this year, uh, but they are not necessarily going to build as many devices as Amazon is. I think they're going to rely much more on their partner network. And then Apple, I, I know Apple has kind of made it a pain for a lot of other outside hardware makers to make devices for them. What, well, they don't allow them to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is right. that what you mean by a pain? <laughs> well, no, I mean, you can, some, some, they partner with some people. So, some. Oh, like for a charging station? <laughs> okay. okay. So Apple wants to do all their own hardware. Yes. Um, what did they announce? Anything new? Not at their hardware. Ba- I mean, well, they've got the Siri shortcuts, 
which they announced originally in, in June and they demonstrated it more recently. It's not really a voice solution. It's not really an AI solution, but it is clever. I think some people will will enjoy that as, as a tool. Uh, they do have another hardware event coming up um, in the next couple of weeks. It's possible they might say something about AirPods. It's possible they may um, they may also talk about a, a smaller, less expensive Google or uh, Apple HomePod. So those are those are possible. But I think for Apple, the, the key areas are the the, the AirPods, the phone, and um, the watch, and that's really what they're focused on. And 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 the watch, I think, is an under um, underappreciated voice input tool um, because it it could be the type of thing that means we don't have to bring our phone with us anymore everywhere. And the problem has been manual input on the small screen. Voice input really takes care of that. Right. Don't have to tap on, on the little screen. That's right. So everything in our homes, you know, is, is get we're getting all these smart speakers. I want to talk about the privacy issue here of having just a bunch of different devices with microphones and Wi-Fi in your home. Is this a, just a a nightmare waiting to happen? Well, I have a theory that Americans don't care about privacy, that Americans talk about privacy, but all of their actions over the last 20 years have suggested to me that they'll trade it for convenience all the time. So people are going to buy Facebook's portal even though Facebook, you know, recently... I don't know that they'll go that far. <laughs> I mean, it's got to have utility beyond just what it what it does today. But I, I think there's a lot of Facebook aficionados who wouldn't have any reservation about doing that, in particular if they integrated Facebook with Facebook Portal, which they have not done. Yeah, strange. It, it, it's just that will be an update. It's, okay. just, it's, it's complicated uh, to do. So, I'm sure. Yeah. I, people underestimate how complex it is because it's not just getting the technology right. You have to get all the use cases right. And, and the use cases are totally different than what you thought they were once you start doing the voice interaction. And that's, that's where something like the Echo Show really I thought was astounding at how well they'd engineered that for voice use cases with a screen. And I think that's instructive for people who come afterwards. So we'll we'll, we'll see. As far as privacy goes, I, I would just say that I'm happy that the, the companies are doing what they're doing and with the wake words, uh, keeping it on device. I understand some people don't trust that. When you say wake words, you mean? The only thing that is uh, that they're listening for is the wake word, which would be Alexa or Google Assistant, the, the activation hey phrase, right. hey Google. So they're only listening for that, and that's stored locally, so that doesn't go to the cloud unless you say that. And then the speech that comes after that's in, in the cloud. And so what we've seen is that there's a lot of law enforcement that have tried to get records for like, oh, there's an Alexa in the house. And what they find is there's really not a lot of information there because right. it's only when people are interacting with it. But I understand why people would be concerned with that. And if they are, they can just they can delete either they can um, they can delete the app or they can get rid of the device. They can unplug it, throw it out the window. They can unplug it. The one thing I will say is with the early Echo, which I thought was a great move on their part, is they actually had a mechanical cutoff for the microphone. So when you when you click mute, it actually mechanically uh, disconnects the microphone from the device, and that that I think is a nice you know gesture towards privacy. But until we see that it's a problem, most people are going to ignore it. All right. Um, in closing, I want to ask you, tell me the future. <laughs> um, what's the future of voice? Where is it going? Where is it going to be, you know, five years from now? Okay. Well, I think that voice, voice is not going to displace uh, screens, 
but it will displace the amount of time we interact with screens, um, at least through touch and, and through, um, through typing. So that's just inevitable. It's much easier than the other things that we've done in the past. And so that's the first thing I would say. The second thing I'll say is I do believe that in addition to using voice more, we're going to start using a lot of different use cases that we haven't had in the past and that these assistants are going to start doing things for us. Google Duplex is a perfect example. We talked about this idea of agency. They're going to do things on our behalf. Sometimes we're going to ask them. Sometimes they're going to do it for us. And we're going to be happy about that. And the final thing I'll say is that the, a real revolution is going to be voice interaction with screens. And there's going to be screens around us in the places that we go, and we're going to be able to use our voice to interact with them and get a personalized experience without having to carry the screen in our pocket all the time. All right, so voice is going to take over, the voice robots are going to take over, and we're going to be happy with it. Um, I am not a believer in singularity. I know there's some very <laughs> smart people who are. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think voice is going to be very, very common, but it's not going to displace visual because we are visual people. All right, Brett, it was great talking with you. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks to you all for listening. You can find more episodes of Recode Decode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And please tell a friend about this show. Now that you're done with this, go check out our other podcasts, Recode Media, Pivot. You can find those shows wherever you found this one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Recode Decode. And thanks to our editor, Joel Robbie, and our producer, Eric Johnson. Kara Swisher will be back on Wednesday. Tune in then. 